0: Ten, if you want to take your seats. Acts Chapter Ten. Acts Chapter Ten. And let's do the smart thing and pray. Lord, a simple prayer. You you wrote this through your spirit, I pray, as you wrote this, that you would teach this. Help us to learn from you and let your spirit guide and direct in all ways and things in your name. Amen. Now, Acts chapter 10 is an interesting chapter. It's a great chapter. We're going to do the first 24 verses here this morning, Lord willing, time willing, because the second half changes direction a little bit. But this is one of those chapters where the overall point is pretty straightforward. The overall point in Acts chapter 10 is that the gospel message has now been opened up to the Gentiles. That's the overall point. Now, to be quite honest, that point's not that exciting for us. We're Gentiles, I would assume, almost all of us here. And a Gentile just means that you're not Jewish. We've known for thousands of years that the gospel message has been opened to us. We've all hopefully heard the truth about Jesus Christ and made a decision to accept him. So we know this. But 2,000 years ago when this happened, this was huge. I don't know if we can fully grasp and understand what it meant 2,000 years ago for this idea of Peter, a Jew, to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and explain to him Jesus to say that God is now open to everybody. So I don't want to downplay that point because that point is key in the events of history. But for us here today, yeah, okay, I got that point. We kind of move on. So what we're going to do is definitely make sure that that point comes across. But this is what I call a little bit of a, um, dare I say, a buffet-type message. There's so many little points in here. As we look at Cornelius, as we look at Peter, and I hope that some of these little points may hit you. You may hear one. You may say, okay, that was nice. But you may hear one of these other little points and say, well, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's the beauty of God's Word. So with that being said, let's jump right into this. Acts chapter 10, and let's introduce ourselves to Cornelius. Verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So we're introduced to Cornelius. This Cornelius, in the whole scheme of history, is very important because he's the first official Gentile that the gospel comes to. But yet, he's only really mentioned here in Acts chapter 10. What do we know about him? We know that he was in the military. He was a centurion, which means that he was in charge of a hundred men. Now, it's interesting that it's at Caesarea. Caesarea has been mentioned earlier before. In Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, Philip went to Caesarea. Paul went to Caesarea, but here now in Acts chapter 10, we see Caesarea being the place where the gospel is opened now to the Gentiles. I think this is important because back in Acts 8, Philip going to Caesarea, okay, we didn't think that much of it. Acts chapter 9, Paul going to Caesarea, we don't think that much of it. Now we see what the Lord was doing. He was preparing. He was planting seeds for this amazing time of the gospel message coming now to Cornelius in Caesarea. What's the point? The point of that is this. You all have unsaved friends and loved ones that you desperately want to see saved. You do. You want that moment of where they come to know Christ. Well, you know what? Sometimes you got to visit Caesarea a few times before salvation comes. And it's something that we call seed planting. You know, we live in this farming community here. And the next couple weeks when things dry out, people are going to be in the fields. And they're going to be out there planting seeds. And they're not going to harvest any crop until this fall. Same thing spiritually. You desperately have somebody you want to know, come to know Christ. So you're planting seeds in them. Of course you want to see them get saved immediately. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. Well, you have the faith to trust that the Lord is moving and working behind the scenes even when we don't see it. Because Caesarea was being prepared through Philip, through Paul in Acts 8, Acts 9 to get us to Acts chapter 10. You may be planting seeds right now, you don't see as much fruit as you want. Be faithful, don't give up, trust the Lord that he's moving behind the scenes. Now what about Cornelius? Look at this description of him, verse 2. Devout man, feared God, gave to the poor, prayed to God always. What a great description. A good man, a moral man, a religious man, not opposed to God, but not saved. But not saved. Because look in Acts 11, verse 14, Paul was retelling the story about Cornelius getting saved. And look what he says in verse 14. We will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. This is a good man, a moral man, not opposed to God, a religious man, but did not know Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. I have met people in the world that are the nicest people you could imagine. They are good people. They are moral people. They're not opposed to the things of God, maybe even religious. But they're not saved. Then I've met people that claim to know Christ. And my goodness, I wouldn't want to be their friend. Sometimes it's better to be friends with the unbelievers that are good and moral than the people that claim to know Christ. And you're looking at them saying, how can you claim to know Jesus but still act this way? But here's the point. Good men, moral men, religious men don't get into heaven. Saved men get into heaven. And you need to know Christ and you need to know Christ personally. Now this bothers some people. Because sometimes people come up to me and say, Well, my neighbor is the nicest person you could ever meet. I'm sure he probably is. And it's just that he doesn't really want to go to church thing and he's not sure about the whole God thing. But he's the nicest person you've ever met. And you're telling me that this good, nice person that would do anything for anybody is not going to get into heaven just because he doesn't know Jesus. Yes, I'm going to make that clear. That's exactly what I am saying. Now, before you get upset, because at some time people get upset at this and say, this is why I have a hard time with God. Because all these good, nice people you're telling me are going to go to hell just because... Now, hold on a second. Because look at the rest of the story here in verse 3. About the ninth hour, 3 p.m. of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius... When he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up before as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. I want to make this clear. I firmly believe this, is that if you have a soul, that may not be saved, but there's a check in their spirit, and they want to know, they earnestly, sincerely want to know who Jesus is. God will arrange a meeting. I firmly believe that. So when I run into people that are worried about the tribesmen in Africa and the aborigines in Australia, I firmly believe if one of those people look up in the sky and they see the stars and the moon, and they stop in their heart and say, there has to be something bigger than me out here. I don't know what that is, but, but if there is something bigger out of me, I want to know it. God will divinely arrange a meeting between them and someone who can point them towards Christ. We see it here in Acts 10. We see it here in Acts 8 with Ethiopian eunuch. So that nice, good, moral person that you all know will have an opportunity to know who Christ is personally. I believe that firmly. And that nice, good, moral person we know will then make a choice... To whether accept Christ or reject Christ. Because see here with Cornelius, this vision appears to him. This vision is very detailed. Go to Joppa, you're looking for Simon. Here he is, this is where he's staying. Cornelius could have said, well that's great. Why don't you send Peter to me? No, Cornelius, why don't you go find out? Cornelius could have said, that's wonderful. You know what, maybe down the road I'll, I'll investigate this Peter guy. See, Cornelius' heart wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to really know who the Lord was. His heart was open to it, so God arranged this meeting. I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I run into people and they'll say things like, I got my cousin, my brother, my sister, my friend, whatever. They are so open to the Lord. They want to know so much about God. Well then, hey, let's have them come out to church. Let's arrange a meeting or something like that. No, I don't think they would do that. Well, how earnestly do they want to know about the Lord? Are they earnest enough to say that I'm going to go find a church and go ask questions? I'm going to crack a Bible open. I may not even know what I'm reading, but I'm going to look. I'm going to put some effort into this because I want to know so bad. See, sometimes I think we want the person to want Jesus more than the person wants Jesus. And Cornelius was open. So God divinely arranged this meeting between him and And Simon, because Cornelius' heart was open. A good man, a moral man, but a man that was not saved, that come and needed to know Christ. And he was obedient and he followed. He put the effort into it to say, I'm going to go find this Peter. Do we do the same today? Go to church, seek the scriptures, ask questions. What effort are we doing with this? Now, here's the beautiful part about this. This is something I've come to a conclusion out here at church. When I'm praying about something... And maybe it's something that makes me feel a little uneasy. It's it's a big situation out here at church. I'm kind of struggling with it, but I know what the Lord wants me to do. So I'm praying about it, saying, Lord, what do you want? And and I go up to somebody that I need to talk to about it. And I usually go up and say, hey, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've been praying about this, and I really think that we should do this. Most of the time that person says, you know what? I've been praying about the same thing, and that's what the Lord laid in my heart. We have Cornelius, his heart being worked on through verse 8. Guess what? God's working on Peter's heart now in verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up about on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, which is about noon. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. And it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. I firmly believe that if somebody's on my heart, and I'm called to pray for them, I'm called to fast for them, I'm called to seek the Lord for them, I also believe that behind the scenes, the Holy Spirit's working on that individual's heart as well. And that is such a reassuring thing. Some of you came in here today and you have marriages that need to be strengthened. You have family relationships that need to be strengthened. You have work problems. You have situations all over the place. And it's so heavy on your heart, it's burdening you. But as you give those things to the Lord, I also believe the Lord through His Spirit is also working on the other parties involved. Now, are they listening? I don't know. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But I believe the Holy Spirit is moving. Look at this. God is moving on Cornelius. God is moving on Peter. And guess what happens the rest of the chapter? He takes the two puzzle pieces and he now puts them together. That's what the Lord does. This divine appointment. Because these men were ready and willing to listen to the Spirit. Now, a couple little points here. Peter, praying at noon. It's really not a good time to pray. Because you're going to be hungry. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how any time we sit down to say, Lord, I want to give you time in prayer, something pops up. You get hungry, the phone rings, the kids need something, something pops up. What we do now at our house when it comes to doing devotions is we basically just do them at the kitchen table. Anytime that we are doing breakfast, lunch, or supper, we sit down, open the Bible, and let's, let's talk about the Lord. For me, I try to do my devotions when I get up in the morning before life gets crazy. But then anytime I eat a meal throughout the rest of the day, I, I try to bring my Bible with me. So that way I can eat and also study at the same time. I've coined the term anti-fasting. That's the way I kind of look at it is I'm not fasting. I'm anti-fasting, but I'm still growing while doing it. Now, that may not be biblical, but it sure makes me feel good. So I'm eating spiritually and I'm eating physically because that's what I want to do. You know, so I see Peter here praying at noon. Verse 10. This is such an honest verse. He then became very hungry and wanted to eat. And this is where the Lord appears to him. So he appears to him, and the symbolism here is this sheep coming down, and we assume in verse 12, these four-footed animals, etc., were probably unclean animals. And he's telling Peter, arise and eat. Now, the symbolism is this. Peter, these things you think are unclean, I have now called clean. Well, it's a picture of, of the Gentiles, us. Remember, that's the big picture here of Acts chapter 10. Salvation came to the Gentiles. We were unclean, we are now clean through Jesus Christ. So Peter, take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what God is preparing Peter's heart for. Now, there's a fascinating little verse here in verse 13. A voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Think about verse 14. No, Lord. No, Lord. How, how can you call him Lord and still say no? That, that just doesn't really work. And Peter has a history of this. Matthew 16, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, no. John 13, Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, no. Now, no, Lord. And this seemed to be repeated. Look at verse 16. This was done three times. Now, I don't know about you about the Irvin house, If a child says no three times in a row, we're we're getting on thin ice there. Here, he's talking to God. God and his grace and mercy is dealing with the stubbornness of Peter. I think Peter really thinks he's right by telling God no. What was going through Peter's mind? Boy, God, really got confused. I don't know. But no, Lord. Simple point. Do you tell God no? I mean, it's such a simple point. Do you tell God no? Does God lay something on your heart and and you kind of say no? The Lord says, hey, you know what? You need to go spend more time with me. Boy, no, Lord, not right now. You need to go make peace. No, Lord, not right now. You know, you need to confess that. No, No, Lord, not right now. It's a dangerous thing to tell God no. But yet we see Peter has a pattern now of no, Lord. God, once again, his infinite grace and mercy is willing to work with that stubbornness. If God has called you to do something, it's the right thing to do. And by telling the Lord, no, you're basically saying my opinion, my thought process, my wisdom is stronger than yours. So therefore, that idea that you gave me to do really isn't right. So, no, Lord. Be careful with that. Ask yourself, do I say no to the things of God what he's called me to do. Now, one other point we need to say about this. How did God communicate to these men? We had Cornelius in the first part being a man of prayer. We have Peter here in the second part being a man of prayer. It's through this time of prayer that the Lord really spoke to him. I think prayer is one of the simplest ideas in the Bible, but yet is really one of the most complex ideas in the Bible. Prayer is simply talking with God. I mean, think about that. Prayer is simply talking with God. God. The problem is prayer is as much listening as it is talking. See, Cornelius needed to listen to what God had to say. Peter needed to listen to what God had to say. Prayer is something that's so simple, I think we take it for granted. If I ever go up to somebody, and I know they're kind of struggling spiritually, I'll ask them, hey, how are you doing spiritually? Generally, the first response always says, I'm still praying. Because prayer at its heart is so simple, I'm still talking to God. But what is your prayer life like? Let's just be honest for a second. I've made a list of the different prayer lives I've seen in my life and other people. First one is what I call the laundry list prayer. It's basically the same thing. You know, every day just change the words a little bit. You know, Lord, just please be with me and my wife and my kids. Just pray you keep them safe. Take care of them. Be with work this week. and pray everything goes well. And we just thank you for everything you do. And amen. Just give them this laundry list. This is what's going on this week. Lord, just take care of it. Next one is what I call the Santa Claus prayer list. It's basically your wish list. What I'd really like it if you could do this, and you could do this, and you could do this, and this job, and this girl, this guy, this whatever. And it's basically this genie in a bottle. I'm just going to give all my requests to God. The last one is what I call the deal maker. Boy, Lord, if you could do this, I would fill in the blank. I would, I would do church. I would serve. And we try to cut a deal with God. Prayer is a time of praise. It's a time of confession. It is a time of asking It's a time of listening. It incorporates all these elements together that we get a chance to go speak to our Father just so calmly, so simply. And we get to talk to Him with whatever our problems are. Now, we also need to listen. Because God does respond. Sometimes he responds through scripture. Sometimes he responds through worship. Sometimes he responds through the body of Christ. Sometimes he responds just through the spirit that's still small voice. But it's this idea of just going to your father and wanting to talk to him. I don't know how it started at home, but I told you last week, Elias, our firstborn, has really reached the point of um, just really concerned about things and really bothered by things. So his thing lately now, so come up to me and said, Dad, I need to talk to you. Okay? Then he says this, Dad, I need to talk to you in private. Okay, so we need to talk in private. He goes, we need to talk in your room. Okay, we go in my room. Dad, we need to talk on the bed. So we're finally on my bed in my room. We're going to talk privately. Now, for some reason, this one I'm going to tell you about, Judah got to come along too. I don't know how Judah got to be part of the inner circle. But it's Elias, Judah, and me. I love my son. But Elias, to save his life, cannot get to the point. So he starts out with, you know, Deep breath. It's okay, Elias. Whatever you gotta tell me, go ahead and tell me if <sighs> you ever had something you really want to tell somebody, but but you're afraid how they're gonna respond and you don't know if they're gonna like it, okay, Elias. Who do you need to tell something to and what do you need to tell them? But you're really afraid they're gonna get upset. This this whole buildup, and I'm not making this up. When we finally get to the point of Elias. What 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 do you need to say? Because I need to tell you something, Dad. Okay, what do you need to tell me? Deep breath, very serious. He looks at me in the eye, he goes, Dad, you're going gray. I said, okay? I, I'm not making this up. This, this, this is not making... I said, yeah, I, I know. He goes, I can see it in your beard. I said, I know. I know I'm going gray. That's, that, that's okay. So, okay, we got that one. He feels relieved. He goes, now we're on a roll. <sighs> if you ever have it, it's something you want to tell somebody, but you're afraid they're going to get upset, yeah, we've covered this, buddy. What, what is it? And he stopped and he goes, Dad, I think somebody's getting fat. <laughs> and I said, Okay. Uh, and he goes, I, I think I should tell him. I said, I don't think you should tell him. I said, "Lies, who is it? He kind of looks at me. And I said, "Lies, do you think it's me? Judah goes, I think you're getting fat. I said, this, is, this is completely true. So I said, okay. I said, well, all righty. So we got the first two done. Now, we, we're, there's still one more. And he goes, Dad, I got one more to tell you. And I said, okay. He goes, you embarrassed me. I said, I embarrassed you. I said, what happened? He goes, a couple Sundays ago, you embarrassed me. I said, well, what happened? Now, I, I'll tell you the full story here. We did a child dedication at the 830 service a couple weeks ago, and it was, it was Hannah and Lee Crager. And so I was up here doing the de- dedication with Hannah and Lee, and we're standing there, and, and he calls her Lincoln's mom, is what he calls Hannah. You know how the kids are. They was going, So Lincoln's mom was standing beside you, and I said, yeah. And I said, well, what was so embarrassing about Mrs. Crager staying beside me? He goes, Dad. She's taller than you. I said, Elias, I said, most everybody in the world is taller than me. He goes, what embarrassed me. So by this point, I had lost all patience. And I said, Elias, you got the same genes I do. You're going to be short. You're going to be fat. Just get used to it. And everybody's going to be taller than you, buddy. You're topping out at 5'8 at the max. So he stopped. He opened up. And this is what I always do. Anytime he wants to have one of his talks, we stop and we say, okay, let's go find the scripture now that deals with it. You know, let's, let's cast our cares before the Lord. Let's pray about it. Now, the reason I bring this up is because we do the same thing to the Lord. We go to the Lord and we give him all of our worries, our fears, our concerns, and everything. Then as soon as we're done talking, goodbye, God, and we leave. Why don't you let him respond? See, this is part of prayer. Cornelius listen to what God had in store. Peter listened to what God had in store. And then they obeyed. And I think to be 100% honest with you, prayer is so simple, I'm just going to talk to God. Yes, it is simple, but there's other aspects of it. Are you going to be open to the Lord speaking to you? Now, here's the problem with this. We don't think He answers quick enough or loud enough. We get done praying, Lord, give me wisdom, and we just stop and we listen. Okay, well maybe the answer is in the scripture, so go crack your Bible open every day for devotions and he'll give you an answer later on. Or maybe the answer is in a worship song. I've been times out here at church where I'm worshiping and I hear one of those lyrics in the song, it's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Or maybe the answer is in the body of Christ. You're just talking to somebody before church, after church, and they just mention something. Maybe the answer is in that still small voice. Here's the problem. When you limit the way God can talk to you by not being in the Word, by not having a heart of worship, by not being part of the fellowship, and not quieting your life to hear what God has to say, how do you ever expect Him to answer? He is not going to yell. He won't. We have to be willing to listen as much as we speak. And we have to be patient to say the answer may take days, may take weeks, may take months. Are we patient enough to wait for that? And I think sometimes as Christians, we want that quick, fast response, and we haven't learned what prayer is. It's talking. It's also worship. It's also confession. It's also asking, but it's also listening. And it's also trusting. When you pray about something and it doesn't happen the way you want, you also need to trust that the Lord does answer every prayer with yes, no, or wait. He really does. Problem is with prayer, we pray for the situation to change. And we've said this many times out here. Sometimes God changes the situation, and sometimes he just changes how you handle the situation. See, that's an answered prayer. You've got that coworker you can't stand, so you're saying, Lord, save him, move him, fire him, get rid of him. God says, no, I'm just going to work on your heart to have more love and patience with him. Lord, I can't handle my spouse anymore. Fix her, fix him. No, I'm going to teach you to have love and patience. Lord, I can't handle this situation. It's too completely stressful. You've got to fix this this thing at work I can't handle. No, the way I'm going to handle it is by giving you more peace and strength as you rely on me. God may not change the situation. He may just change the way you handle it. That's part of prayer. And what we see here with Cornelius and Peter, these are two men that were talking to God, but more importantly, they were listening to God. They were listening to him. So now God takes these two separate puzzle pieces, unbeknownst to each other, and brings them together. Verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. This word there in verse 17, while Peter wondered, some of your translations say perplexed. Some of your translations say doubted. Peter just got done with quite the thing here. Thousands of years of law just went out the window. Unclean animals are now clean—that's oh, that, kind of a big deal. Now, see, this is the problem with Acts ten. We already know this. We, we've always known this. This is this is earth-shattering to Peter. So now he's sitting there, perplexed, wondering, maybe even doubting. That same word is the word used when they go to the grave. And sunrise and they can't figure out why the tomb is empty they they can't grasp it we sit here now thousands of years later and say come on guys you know why the tomb's empty Jesus rose at that moment that was they couldn't believe it Peter can't believe it have you ever had something where the Lord laid something on your heart and I don't even know what to think that is so far beyond anything I was thinking or imagining I'm perplexed I'm, I'm doubting I'm wondering what do you do Verse 18, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Now, while Peter thought about the vision, he's still chewing. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You just keep listening. One of my favorite verses now, is found in the book of Chronicles. It says very simply, we do not know what to do, so we keep our eyes on you. Lord, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to keep my eyes on you, and you will reveal it to me. Verse 21, that Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you have seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, God has brought these two puzzle pieces together. And there's this beautiful door of salvation that opens up on the second half of this chapter, which we'll get into next week. But the interesting thing about this, though, is look at verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I like that. It wasn't just Cornelius that was going to hear this. Cornelius knew that this was a big deal. I'm getting everybody I know in. Now just think about that for a second. Cornelius could have said, I'm going to have a private one-on-one with Peter. Peter, thanks for coming to my house. Let's go to the back room. Nobody will bother us. Let's shut the door and let's talk. Cornelius knew. Cornelius knew that this was something big. And he wanted to have everybody he knew, close friends, relatives, they needed to hear this answer from God. Now, I I don't make this point now to make you feel uncomfortable or to make you feel guilty, but this is just a simple point. If you're here today, and you're saved, and you know that Christ died on the cross for your sins, why are we not telling our relatives and close friends? I mean, if we know this has changed our life, why why are we not doing that more? And I I know some of us are, some of us aren't. But if this has really impacted us, why are we not like Cornelius where he said, listen, I've got to get you all together because I've got to tell you what God's doing. Why don't we do that? You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, my faith is very private. I have never seen that in the Bible. Your faith is very public. I've heard people say, well, I'm really not an outspoken person. You don't have to be an outspoken person. You need to be a spirit-led person. As the Lord leads, trust me, I know quiet people that can proclaim the gospel. This goes back to the point that we have been making week after week, and we're going to keep making this point to the point of you guys groaning every time I bring this up. We are called to be disciples. And since we're called to be disciples, disciples go make more disciples. Part of us being so changed by Christ is that we want to go see other people changed for the Lord. That's what it means. And it goes back to that passage in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That is my command. My command is to take my relatives and close friends, proclaim to them Christ. They may listen, they may not. That's between them and the Lord, but I'm going to be obedient to do that. And those that want to grow in the Lord, then I want to be there to help them grow in the Lord. I was just reading Titus the other day. And Titus chapter 2 keeps it so simple. Older women in the church, find younger women in the church and disciple them. Younger women in the church, find an older woman in the church and learn from them. Older men in the church, find a younger man in the church, disciple them. Younger men in the church, find an older man in the church, learn from them. Titus 2, there you go. That's the way the system is supposed to work. We have made this point numerous times before. This 21st century church, the idea becomes that this select group of people that have a title spiritually take care of everything. That is not in the Bible. We are a group of people that get together to encourage one another. The purpose of church is for us to teach, give you a time of worship, an opportunity to serve, an encouragement through fellowship, and a chance for evangelism. And then we go out throughout the week and we make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. And when we do what God has called us to do, boy, that's when this Christianity thing feels real. Because if we really just think it's coming on a Sunday morning, cracking open our Bibles, reading some, studying some, man, we're missing out. There's more to this. Last passage, last point. Mark 5, please. Let's talk about a guy here that was touched by Christ and what he did. Mark 5. What you have here in Mark 5, is this amazing story of this guy that is demon-possessed and is miraculously touched by the Lord. Now, a little bit of background on this guy. Look here at Mark 5. We're not going to do every verse in it. Verse 2, when he, meaning Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. "...who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one can bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broke in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones." So that's who Jesus gets to minister to. Now, what happens is, jump ahead if you will, Jesus casts out the demons... Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, here's the key point the townspeople are more afraid of the demon possessed man being sane than when they were when he was demon possessed. Because my personal opinion is when the townspeople came and saw this man was now sane, they had to stop and say, Something happened. Something big happened. Verse 16. And those who saw it told them how it happened, him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Some people can't handle Christ. It makes them uncomfortable. Please leave. I'm I'm just happy with my little middle of the road. Faith. You know, if you look in the Bible, there is no middle of the road. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation. But what we have done recently is we've added middle road. There is no middle road. Wide, narrow. And so what happens is Jesus came, cast out the demons, and this kind of freaked him out. Now, just put yourself in this position. Naked man in the tombs, cutting, yelling, screaming, Jesus. Boy, Jesus is freaky scary, man. Don't go near him. I'll stay with the demon-possessed guy. That doesn't make any sense. And the same thing happens in the world today. Oh, your life is completely, utterly falling apart? Well, let me introduce you to Jesus. Oh, I couldn't do that. That's crazy. No, living without Him is crazy. Look what it's doing to you. Some people can't handle it. And they choose to reject it. And they ask Him, not even ask, verse 17. They plead with Him, leave. Verse 18, And when he had gone to the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Now, doesn't that make sense? Verse 18, this demon-possessed guy just got touched by Jesus. Let me go with you. I mean, let me go with you. Verse 19, However, Jesus did not permit him. He said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has shown compassion on you. See, let me go with you. And this is what we do in Christianity now. Somebody gets an amazing testimony, and and they go on tour. And I don't mean to pick on this. Don't take it the wrong way. So what happens is they come to this group of people that they've never met, and they have to convince this group of people how awful they were, and then what Jesus did for them. So imagine this guy going on tour with Jesus, where it's like, well, let me now introduce you to Fred. Fred will give you his testimony. Fred gets up there and says, yep, I used to run around naked in the cemetery. They used to put chains on me, couldn't hold me. I'd cut myself, and everybody's like, oh, wow, that's deed. And now look at them. Problem is, they never saw naked, screaming, chained up Fred. And so they see what Jesus did. It's exciting, but it doesn't carry as much weight. Jesus says, go home and tell your friends. Because when you walk into this town completely sane, people are going to stop and say something happened. That's not the guy I knew. I remember a pastor saying one time, saying, you want to see your town change for the Lord? He says, go find the most despicable person in that town and lead him to Christ. Because the town will then see what God can and will do. This man's mission field was his house, his home, his town. So often when a new believer gets saved, the first thing we want to do is go to Africa. Oh, amen. People in Africa need Jesus. But your changed life amongst your old group of friends is the greatest witnessing tool you can ever show them. That's making disciples. Because when this guy walks through town, and he's now in his right mind, people are going to have to stop and ask him, what happened? Boom. Let me tell you about Jesus who I met. That's what we need to do. Go. Make disciples. Get involved in people's lives. I I cannot encourage you enough. Get involved with their lives, the mess that their life is. Get involved with it, because you have the answer in Christ. That's what he's called us to do. And so what happens here in the second half of our Acts chapter 10? Well, Peter does this great message to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They get saved and it opens up a whole new segment now in the book of Acts. That's the big picture. But for us this morning, the little picture is, are we people of prayer? Are we saying no, Lord? Do we realize the witnessing responsibilities and opportunities that we have? Are we seeing these things? Those are the things that really impact us. Marv, if you come forward here for the final song. Just want to remind you Wednesday, our excellent Wednesday.